You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Dr. James Highland. He's the CEO of Aura Vital. Uh, website is www.oravital.com. So, James, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm doing well, and I, I welcome discuss, discussing this subject, which uh, has so much impact on people's oral and overall health as we're learning more about the relationship between the oral microbiome and the overall body health, as well as obviously for things such as gum health, breath odor, and peri-implantitis. Yes, so everything you say isn't just idle talk, literally. So we're talking about important oral health issues, right? (laughs) Well, I think we are. Um, When you have an infection in your mouth, and that would be defined as tissues that bleed, um, nowhere else in the body is bleeding ever considered normal or watched or monitored. It's uh, assessed, treated, reassessed to make sure it's uh, it's stopped and then uh, monitored again. But when you have bleeding, you have a wound of some sort. And a wound leads to uh, bacteria being able to penetrate into the tissues and from there into the bloodstream 24-7, 365 for decades. And depending on the type of bacteria, the numbers going in and your susceptibility to them, uh, a response in the body that can result in diseases throughout the body as well. What's the premise of Aura Vital? What was the reason for uh, the company? What does it do? In the beginning, we started out as a company that treated breath odor because it was an area that is undertreated and there wasn't a predictable treatment for it. Um, Our founder found that using an antibiotic mouthwash comprised of nystatin uh, to treat yeast infections and metronidazole that treats the bacteria that cause gum disease and breath odor. They're the same bacteria, um, gram-negative anaerobic bacteria. Um, She found that when she used uh, an antibiotic mouthwash, a particulate one, you deliver very, very high saliva levels and you need high saliva levels to penetrate the biofilms that exist not only on the gum and between the gum and tooth and under the gum, but at the back of the tongue, throat, cheeks, on the teeth, everywhere. And unless you control those bacteria everywhere, you don't get um, a good result. So she found that using the antibiotic mouthwash uh, controlled both gum disease and breath odor at the same time. And I expanded that into more of a therapy to focus on, on overall health 
and well, oral wellness as opposed to just on breath odor itself. Well, to start with, what causes breath odor, or as a lot of people call it, bad breath? The presumption is that it's coming from the stomach, it's coming from the lungs, um, it's in your breath. And for instance, you can smell alcohol in people's breath, you can smell onions in people's breath, and certainly there are products that you eat that will cause breath odor. Um, breath odor is something that um, can be temporary. Uh, if you have a very dry mouth, you don't have as much saliva, bacteria will multiply more. So perhaps in the morning, you might feel as if you're a little more worried about breath odor because you have that going on. But true breath odor is bacteria producing volatile sulfur compounds. They're called methylmercaptans, which smell cabbagey, uh, dimethyl sulfide and hydrogen sulfide. Interestingly enough, hydrogen sulfide is monitored in gas plants. Um, plants that are that are processing natural gas, and if the levels get above a hundred, um, they shut the plant down. But my patients that have breath odor have levels that are in eight and nine hundred parts, so it's a very significant uh, concern. And these bacteria can occur in very healthy mouths. They can be located at the back of the tongue and throat. So sometimes it's not patients' fault that they have breath odor. Um, the challenge to treat breath odor is that first you must control these bacteria. You have to reduce their numbers. You have to use a type of hygiene on a daily basis that's going to clean between your teeth effectively and between your gum and tooth effectively, those two areas. And traditionally, brush your teeth and floss your teeth does not do that. I can explain that in a few minutes if you'd like. You have to monitor things like pH because when people have breath odor, they'll have a high pH. If they're prone to decay, they'll have a low pH. You have to make sure that people are well hydrated. Again, a dry mouth will contribute to breath odor. You have to make sure you're eating a reasonable diet. If you're eating a diet too high in protein, you're going to have a lot more breakdown of the protein, which will produce the volatile sulfur compounds. You have to make sure the person isn't significantly stressed. Um, and medications can produce dry mouth. So when you take a look at treating breath odor, uh, first and foremost, if the bacteria aren't there, you can't have the odor. But second, it's not just treating the odor. It's being aware of an overall wellness to achieve a, like a homostasis and get a normal biotome in the mouth so that you don't continuously have these bacteria producing the odors. So does bad breath mean that you have a dysbiosis in your mouth or perhaps not? I would say... I would say it does, uh, and it's individual in terms of what's happening. Obviously, if you have signs of bleeding, bone loss, you know, tooth loss, and you have breath odor, it's, got, it's related to a, a gum condition, a periodontal condition as well. Um, but it can happen, as I mentioned, in very healthy mouths. In the healthy mouths, what's happening is the bacteria are sitting on the surface of the tissue, not invading the tissues, and they're producing the odors that waffle up in the mouth um, when you have breath odor, people will often complain of a dry mouth. Um, they'll say, my mouth is dry, tasty. They'll talk about having a challenge with taste. And the reason they have trouble with taste is that the volatile sulfur compounds affect the taste buds. And literally, they can't taste anymore. So they'll lose their sense for fine foods, um, like they can't taste much difference in wine, for instance. And then they'll have a problem with, they'll say, I can't smell my food and my food doesn't smell the same. Well, again, it's the olfactory nerves being affected by the volatile compounds coming out of the mouth, in through the nostril and overloading. It's like after a while, I mean, literally sometimes people, they can't smell their own tooth. You can't smell your own breath. 
Um, the only way to actually smell it might be to uh, stick your, your, your tongue out as far as you can and to lick your wrist and to blow on it. And if you do and you smell odors, then you can smell your breath. But you can't smell it by putting your hand up against your face and blowing against your face because your, 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 your oral sense is, is confused with the odors that are there. You could take floss. What if um, what if you um, what if you put water in your mouth and held it there and then smelled? Do you think that would uh, help improve your sense of smell for a few seconds? Um, but again, only for a few moments, and then it would come back again. So um, the, it takes a while for the rec- for the back for the nerves to spring back to a normal sense. It, it can take hours or days. So I doubt that a small temporary change like that would make a significant difference. These are things I'm telling you most people are not taught in school. Uh, This is new information uh, from the research that we've done. Uh, It's not an area that receives a tremendous amount of attention, but if you think about it, if effective treatments for breath odor worked, you wouldn't have to keep using the -the over-the-counter rinses, so clearly they're not working effectively. Um, Things like mints and chlorophyll uh, help to mask odors. And people who are desperate with breath odor will even resort to smoking uh, because smoking odor is more acceptable than breath odor. People assume with breath odor you have poor hygiene and it's because you're not taking care of yourself well. And so it creates a terrible stigma. Um, It affects people routinely. I've had a lawyer in my practice who left the practice because he was so concerned about breathing on his patients. I treated um, a seven-year-old girl that couldn't go out to recess because the kids were or teasing her. She had infections in her tonsils. She was producing tonsillus, which are small little curdy-like things that come out of the tonsils, and they smell terribly. Uh, it really is something that uh, affects people quite a bit. And 95% of odors in the mouth are oral odors. They aren't coming from your stomach. They aren't coming from your lungs. They aren't coming from your bloodstream. Uh, and most people are unaware of that. What about um, you know tongue scrapers? Do those help with excellent idea? They really do. The tongue is a shag carpet, and there's going to be a lot more mucus. And when you talk about bacterial biofilms, microbiotomes, you're talking about twenty to thirty percent bacteria, and you're talking between seventy and eighty percent of a mucus material they secrete, uh, polyglycans. And these polysaccharides, these are chemicals that are produced that the bacteria live in. They act as something to help them to adhere to surfaces. And when they're in them, the chemicals can't penetrate them as much as well. So um, as, they, as, they, as they get in these uh, microbiotomes that they create, uh, they're resistant to change and they can multiply uh, and stay there. And, and that produces the problem. Okay, interesting. What about when you floss? If you floss and the uh, the stuff that comes out from between your teeth smells, does that mean that your mouth has a problem? It's just in between the teeth, or is it uh, is it okay if it's just localized that way? Actually, that's a great question because what you've done there. So I've mentioned one way to test if you have breath odor: one being licking your wrist. One, if it's between your teeth, you can take a long piece of floss. You should use unscented floss. And start at one end and, for instance, start in the upper right and go between the last two teeth, floss a little bit and put it under your nose and smell. And you can go through all of your teeth like that and you can determine where the odors are coming from. The challenge we have in dentistry, um, it's almost as if the emperor has no clothes. And I'm going to say now the emperor has no clothes. You brought up the topic of flossing. Uh, Flossing is extremely effective at cleaning teeth. 
And there are bacteria that grow on the tooth as well. But there are bacteria, a different type of bacteria that grow on the gums. So a rock can be sitting beside a tree, but they have different types of bacteria growing on the two of them, even though they're side by side. So if you can imagine your, 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 your hand is a fist and putting your other hand around it, the fist is your tooth and the hand around it is the gum. There's a gap between the gum and the tooth that's wider than floss. So when you put the floss in as a piece of string, it can't touch tooth and gum. You have to pull against one or push against the other to make it work. Um, if you think of string, we know we can pull string against something, but we can't push string and make it do what we want. You can only adapt it around something. So you pull it against the tooth. The first action of floss is to push the biofilm underneath the gum, below where the floss can get at. The third thing is that the shape of the gum that's hugging the tooth is the shape of the inside of a bowl. Richard, can you floss the inside of a bowl? Is it physically possible to floss the inside of a bowl? No. It, so it's physically impossible to floss the bacteria off your gums. So flossing does help. It removes debris. It removes the bacteria from the tooth, but it leaves the gum undisturbed. My challenge in, is that we need to find a technique that will clean gum and tooth at the same time. So flossing is the last technique that you teach people if nothing else will go between the teeth without causing trauma. The most effective way to clean well, between your teeth are toothpicks. Yes? Oh, okay, because you can physically push. I figured the reason to floss is that, you know, if food gets stuck between your teeth, it creates a microenvironment, you know, that, that would attract the wrong bacteria. And so pushing the food out or the debris out is what really helps with flossing. I agree with the concept of pushing the flu food out and removing the debris and moving the bacteria, but I want you to use a technique that's going to do the gum and the tooth, not just the tooth. So the most effective way is to use something called soft picks or going up to stimulants. And if you have very large spaces, using these brushes that can fit between your teeth in that order. And the other thing that's different in, in, in this description is that you need to use a firm pressure with this. Now, if people start using picks, they're going to bend them a little bit at first. There's a technique to learn. If you bite your teeth together and smile when you're doing it, it'll be easier to get between your teeth, especially the back ones. Um, your gums may bleed when you first start doing it. And if they bleed, uh, it's because they're infected. And if they hurt, it's because they're inflamed. And when you were flossing, you would have had no bleeding and no tenderness. And the reason is the floss isn't touching the gum. So when you do start the picks, if they bleed, and if they hurt, I guarantee you on the third day, the bleeding will stop and the tenderness will go away and your tissue may shrink. And then people go, my, I don't want my gum shrinking. I could get a space between my teeth, but you have to have a choice between healthy tissues that aren't bleeding and causing infection and breath odor or disease tissues that look healthy, that have a sharp point. There's no fever. There's no pain. There's no swelling, hallmarks of infection. But when you touch them at the soft pick, they bleed significantly. When you touch them with floss, they don't. That And so the gums will shrink. You go from beer belly gums to six-pack abs in three days. Picks are the most superior way to clean between your teeth if they'll fit between your teeth. If not, you need to use a very thick floss, super floss. You might double the floss up um, to get a much thicker floss, and you do the best you can with flossing then. Well, okay, so what is the action by which the pick helps? Is it literally, I mean, why wouldn't you just, I guess, try to, to brush your gums gently with a different kind of brush, would that be the most effective way to clean them? Or 
Well, in the beginning, the I mentioned to you that you have to clean. Yeah, you have to clean two parts of your mouth. You and uh, if you notice, I didn't mention the biting surfaces of your teeth. Um, I mentioned you have to clean between your teeth, between the gum and the tooth, and you have to clean between the gum and the tooth on the cheek side and tongue side. So picks are will do both because the pick is wide enough to touch gum and tooth. It pushes the gum up and down as it goes in. It rubs against the, the tooth and removes the greasy, thick biofilm. I want you to imagine cleaning um, grease off of glass because your, your tooth is like glass. You can't just rub it. You've actually got to put your hand on it and give it a firm rub with a cloth. And so you need firm pressure. And um, the tissue, because it's tissue, will thicken up and callus. And on the third day, when you get rid of the bacteria, the problem goes away. Think of treating gum disease like this. If you have a peanut allergy, a gum infection, a response to something, is the treatment in the house to, to allow it to be in the house and to treat the symptoms when they come up? Or is the best way to deal with a peanut allergy to not have it in the house at all? Yeah, obviously, right, it's to not have it in the house. Yeah. yeah. So if you're going to floss, what I'm telling you is you're not removing it. It can't. As you said, floss can't clean your gum bacteria. You need to use a different type of bacteria that's going to clean gum and tooth at the same time. Pardon me, a different technique to clean. That's what the picks do. Okay. And then that transforms your biotome, transforms it to a healthy, uh, non-air-breathing, aerobic bacterial biofilm that does not produce decay and does not produce gum disease. And you can predictably then control the infection in your mouth at home on your own. When we talk about cleaning, it's very important. The cheek side of your teeth, I'm going to tell you I don't want you to brush your teeth. Now, if you notice, I'm telling you to do the opposite of everything you've ever been told. And the reason is 80% of people have gum disease despite our best efforts. But to put it in perspective, people are keeping their teeth. The average 40-year-old doesn't have root canals, doesn't have crowns, has very few fillings between their teeth but the gums still bleed in 80% of people. So clearly, if you had a treatment for heart disease or taking care of diabetes, that 80% of the time you couldn't treat it properly, you'd look for new treatments. And so when we tell people to floss the teeth, it doesn't clean the gum. And when I tell you to brush your teeth, you're not focusing on the gum where the bacterial infection is. So when you clean at the gum line between your gum and tooth, in other words, brush your gums, And I'm not talking about a horizontal scrub your gums. I'm actually talking a 45 degree angle. Visualize getting the bristles to sweep into the gap or space between the gum and the tooth. We call it a sulcus. And your bristles need to stay there. So with your teeth together and a big smile again, start on the lower left, 45 degree angle. Push the bristles into that space. So now you're brushing gum and tooth. Do it in a little circle five times, move to the next tooth, move to the next tooth, move to the next tooth, and you're doing a continuous brushing without skipping a tooth. Then you go to the upper and repeat, go to the inside, top and bottom, repeat. Most people, when they brush, it's a bit like a bee pollinating a field of flowers, and it just goes, you brush up or lower, inside, outside, biting surface, you're moving your hand all over. I want you to imagine you're doing, as a bee going up and down the rows of corn and getting the, go up one row, go down the next row, and you don't miss a single stalk. We have to brush with a system that makes sure you treat every sulcus, cheek side and tongue side, upper and lower, inside and outside. And those two tips about brushing your gums and using picks will resolve most people's gum problems in about four days. It's that easy. What if you were to uh, create a, um, not a denture, but a, um, a mouthpiece that you'd fill with you know, a certain toothpaste or substance and you'd bite it? 
and you keep it on your teeth 20, 30 seconds, would that be an effective way of, uh, you know, of brushing and treating, you know, like the paste to be squeezed into the spaces between your teeth as you bit down on the mouthpiece, the upper and lower? Do you think there's anything like that that might work? There is a company uh, that does that. They're called Perio Protect, and they, an impression is taken of the upper and lower jaw. Um, custom mouth guards are made, and they generally fit it with a hydrogen peroxide gel, 1%. Hydrogen peroxide will release oxygen. This will oxygenate and kill the gram-negative anaerobic bacteria. You have to listen to the recommendation now, and you'll see the, what I see as the weakness in the system. You have to use it for 20 minutes a day, twice a day, forever. It's a lot. So, so what they're saying is that they can't get it to penetrate to the base of the pocket. Um, I, or a vital, has an antibiotic mouthwash. But what's the difference between an antibiotic mouthwash and oral systemic pills? Well, a mouthwash, if you th- imagine a, a capsule of, of antibiotic and swallow it and picture it as the volume in your whole body, it's about one four thousandth the, the, the volume in your body. Now imagine and you swallow it, it has to be absorbed, it has to be, um, it's digested, it's broken down, it has to go to the entire body, but you really only want it around the gums. And in particular, you actually want it on the saliva, not from your bloodstream up. And so very little of it gets into your saliva. Now imagine taking that same capsule and opening it up and pouring it on your tongue and rinse and spit. You'll actually have three to 4,000 times the concentration of antibiotic. And if it's particulate rather than liquid, liquid will clear from the mouth. So the antibiotic would spike up and drop off rapidly. If it's a particle, it'll raise up. It'll drop down about 25%. And because the particles are sticking in this biofilm throughout the mouth, back of the tongue, throat, cheeks, teeth, and working its way up to six millimeters under the gum over a period of two weeks, um, and releasing the antibiotic as particles, you, you get a sustained result, and then you rinse in eight hours again. And when you do that, you reach a heavy enough concentration of antibiotic that you can penetrate any of these oral microbiotomes. The challenge with trays is it treats around the gum, but unless you treat the back of the tongue, throat, tonsils, you're going to get a reinfection from yourself, from those areas that you haven't treated. So things like brushing your teeth, uh, brushing the gums, using picks, tongue scrapers, very effective at removing this mucus from the tongue. But if you can't get the back of the tongue and throat balanced, then you keep reinfecting yourself. And that's the area that a lot of breath odors come from on patients, and they can't figure out everything the dentist does doesn't treat it. The dentist can't scrape the back of your tongue, can't laser the back of your tongue. You can't floss the back of your tongue or tonsils. Does that give you a better perspective? um, Oh, yeah, definitely. What about for more serious conditions? I I would think, I'm just getting the feeling like there should be a specific dental brushing tooth care protocol for people with diabetes and for people with heart conditions. You know, like, Hmm. is there such a thing that exists? And so what would it look like? Okay. So dentists and hygienists are like cats and you can't corral them. Dental research and medical research takes 17 to 20 years from the time a good idea comes out before it's adopted generally. So I'll give you an idea. In 1983, a young physician stood up in Australia and said, I can cure stomach ulcers. Up to that point, I was taught in school, it was due to an uptight, type A, hardworking person with too much acid. They just had to take vacations, take some pills to stop the acid, and like just you know, chill. Um, He said, no, it's caused by a bacteria. And they laughed at him. 
So he gave some of his patients antibiotics and three in a row got better. So he told the internist about it. And the internist says, that was just a chance. So he said, well, he said, I'm going to swallow the bacteria. H. pylori is the name of it. And he did. And he got an ulcer. And he went back and had it confirmed that he had an ulcer. The guy said, yes, you've got one. You know, here's the antacids. He says, I don't need them. I'm going to take an antibiotic. He got back in three weeks. The ulcer was gone. The internist says that you were just lucky. He did it a second time. They still didn't believe him. It took 17 years to become the practice for treating ulcers. And he got the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004. So you asked about a technique to take care of gum disease, to take care of diabetes. I'll give you one. It's, I've given you some of it. It's really simple. The challenge is the professions are not willing to adopt these changes until they are almost forced to by people asking questions such as the questions you're asking. So when people look at diabetes, for instance, 53% of us will die of heart disease. But if you have diabetes, 86% of people are going to die from, from heart disease. When you have heart disease, you will have a stress test. You will have your, your size of your artery openings measured. And 50% of the people after stress tests that have a heart attack have perfectly open arteries. And they were just told they were really good. Look at the personalities that have died on TV. In fact, the guy who is the head of the American Medical Association cardiology area, he had a heart attack on stage. And so doctors oh, Bale yeah. and Deneen, they doctors Bale and Deneen, um, looked at this and they have a program to treat heart disease. And they wrote an article in November 2011, the British Medical Journal, pardon me, 2016, the first time in the world this was published. Gum disease bacteria, what were called high-risk periodontal pathogens, cause atherosclerosis, and the word causal was used. What they found is these bacteria are found in the blood clots of every heart attack and stroke and in the cell wall of all patients that have heart disease. Heart disease being defined not as the size of the artery, but the thickness of the wall. And the test that's done is what's called a CMIT, which is an ultrasound of the carotid intermediary um, tissue of the artery. And that test is prognostic and indicative and virtually 100% accurate in telling your risk for heart disease. And following their techniques, they guarantee every patient under their care, they will never have a heart attack or stroke if they follow their directions. And if they do, they'll give them their money back. 100% guarantee. And they've had one patient with a heart attack in 17 years, didn't follow the protocols. So now when you talk about gum disease, can you do the same thing? I'm going to tell you 90% of people, if they follow a few protocols I'll mention, will control their gum disease in about four weeks. First of all, the patient has to control their bacteria, so they have to be shown how to use picks and how to brush their gums effectively. They need to have a test done in their saliva to test for the type of bacteria that are there. And the test is a risk analysis it's not an indication of disease. So it's called a, uh, it's a, it's a uh, biofilm DNA test. So you sample the bacteria and you look at the type of bacteria. And if you have the high-risk periodontal pathogens, you have a significant risk of having gum disease and heart disease and diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis and Alzheimer's and oral and colon cancer pancreatic cancer, if you look at the research, and even people with depression, they're looking at it and they're looking at changes in the microbiome contributing to almost causally 
for things like autism. And I'm not turning this into one of those conspiracy things that we're hearing about in politics at the moment or, you know, vaccines cause problems. This is the research. And my uh, my nephew is, is doing research on this depression issue right now up in Toronto on the oral microbiome. So I'm contributing to it. So it's so when we look at, you have to know the type of bacteria. The next thing you have to do is to kill those bacteria. So antibiotic mouthwashes do that. No systemic effect at all, none whatsoever. So women aren't having problems with the birth control pill. They're not getting vaginal yeast infections. You have less resistance because you have a much higher concentration of antibiotic where you're delivering it. And you're delivering the right antibiotic because when you know what profile of bacteria you have, you can choose the right antibiotic. And then the dental office has to create an environment in your mouth that you can clean. So the gap between your tooth and your gum needs to be four millimeters or less. And so whatever treatment is required to do that, that can be laser therapy, lineup therapies. It can be uh, cutting your gum. It could be taking teeth out. Uh, most cases, it's really good home care by you and removing the scale and tartar on your teeth and the stain. And then you have to reevaluate to make sure that you get to four places. So what do people have to do to get healthy? This is my definition of health. Every, pace, every time you go and see the hygienist, your teeth should be disclosed. The disclosing visualizes the bacteria in your mouth. They, you can't see it. It's transparent. The dentist has an idea, but we really can't see the extent unless you disclose. Imagine playing blind man's bluff and trying to clean up kids' toys in the room. You can't do it if you can't see them. So disclose is the first thing. If there's bacterial biofilm that's evident, you have to be shown how to brush it away. If it isn't, that's the way it should be. Number two, when we take the picks and go between your teeth with firm pressure, the gum should never bleed. If they bleed, you're not using the picks or you're not pushing hard enough. It's as simple as that. You also should have no bleeding when we sweep the gum cheek side, tongue side. We use a, a periodontal probe for that. You might use a rubber tip for that on an applicator to sweep the gum back and forth, kind of like cleaning under your fingernail. You know, you take one fingernail to clean the other. This thing sweeps cheek side, tongue side. Third, we measure the gap between the gum and the tooth. And the gap should be four millimeters or less. If it's five, occasionally you can manage. But if you're up to six, the pockets are too deep. You can't clean to the base of those pockets and you're going to have a problem. And finally, we count the number of bleeding points when we're measuring and we're looking for less than 10. Now, I prefer zero, but using a sharp little point in wet, fragile tissue where people have to go three to four millimeters, 360 degrees around 28 teeth, and they don't have the greatest techniques, they're gagging, the teeth are tilted or crowded, you've had dentistry done, almost impossible to get to zero. So if you have no visible biofilm, if you have no bleeding, would you do this bleeding score? If your pockets are four millimeters or less and 10 or less bleeding points, you are a stable patient. That's what you have to get to. And the techniques I've told you about are a system to get there. That's a lot said in a few minutes. It is. Um, I've been to dentists um, in my 40s. I've been to plenty of dentists. And even recently, they don't say a word about any of this stuff. So what kind of a creature would people go to see? What would they be called that would know about this? Or is it still very rare in the dental profession? Um, they should go to our website and they'll find practitioners that are practicing this way or can be referred to people. Um, or we can talk to their dentist if they want and teach them how to do this. It's so easy. 
It's unbelievable. And it happens. You, the mouth is such, you know, if you get hit, you know, if you get a cut in your face and head, how much you bleed and, and how much it swells so quickly. The mouth is right. blessed with an incredible blood supply and that both fights infection. But if you, if you're resolving the infection, you will heal so quickly as well. So if you give the mouth a chance, the response to healing is unbelievable. Uh, when they mentioned been, the, um, yeah. Well, quick question. Have there been, have there been studies where people that have, again, diabetes or have some sort of chronic illness, they've now started taking care of their mouth in the right way and what happened to them? Is there a cohort of people that have, you know, done what you said and been studied to see what would happen? There sure are. In fact, insurance companies have done this study. And one insurance company in the States that does provides dental benefits and medical benefits looked at the impact on heart disease and on um, diabetes on their patients who had um, tooth cleaning every six every four every three months, pardon me. And they looked at the cost of their medical care before and after treatment. So this is like the end result is, you know, how much did it cost did it make a difference that way? 40% reduction in the medical costs when patients had their teeth cleaned three times a year, or me four times a year. How does it work? When you get rid of the uh, peanut butter, you don't have the allergy. When you get rid of the pathogens causing the disease, you don't have the direct infection and the response of the body is inflammation and chemical products that toxins the bacteria produce. Uh, we hear about E. coli and people getting sick from E. coli infections. Well, those are toxins that the bacteria produce. And the gum disease bacteria produce the same ones that cause systemic inflammation. Inflammation is what is associated with all chronic diseases. So when you reduce the inflammation, the diseases improve and the oral condition improves at the same time. So blood studies have shown reduction in inflammatory markers and health studies have shown 40% reduction in the cost of care as patients' oral condition improved. Why have um, some of the same bacteria in the mouth been found in atherosclerotic plaques and, and other parts of the body? Is that just because the, uh, the bacteria or you know, the blood supply is very accessible or is that because the bacteria for some reason are not happy in the environment in the mouth and they, they want to migrate to find a, uh, a better homeostasis? Well, the, these bacteria um, are just looking for a place to live. Uh, the type of diet in particular that we have tends to breed these types of bacteria. Now, they've been around forever. So, for instance, a healthy mouth will have in the biotome between 5 and 13% of these gram-negative anaerobic pathogens. They're called prophromorphs, uh, PG, uh, FN, we hear terms, TD, um, and AA. And these bacteria, given the right conditions, will multiply. PG is the bacteria that causes gum disease and initiates the disease process. It needs very few bacteria to do it. And what it's able to do is to block this, the um, white blood cells' ability to locate them by masking two of the um, receptor sites on white blood cells. So these bacteria then, once they start to multiply, the body recognizes them as foreign agents and starts an inflammatory cascade to kill them. The result of that is dead and dying tissue and bleeding tissue, which provides the food for other bacteria to come in and grow on. Think of it no different than on the savanna and an animal's killed and like all the others come in at it, okay? But until the animal's killed, you don't see all sorts of animals coming in. So it starts an inflammatory cascade. Those bacteria then, if they can get into the bloodstream, 
will look for similar places to live. So the statistics are 93.7% of the people that have Alzheimer's have one of six oral spirochetes in the brain. Now, spirochetes cause syphilis, spirochetes cause Lyme disease. And if I told you you had a spirochete infection, you would want treatment immediately. So if your gums are bleeding, you have spirochetes that are going into your bloodstream, could end up in the brain and do contribute to a response in the brain to lay down these plaques that are formed. And that's the hallmark of syphilis, Lyme disease, and Alzheimer's. And in uh, January last year, they found uh, PG, the bacteria I just mentioned, uh, not a spirochete, as a bacteria that's found in the cerebral spinal fluid. And they're looking at methods to control these bacteria. So they find a home in your brain. People that have rheumatoid arthritis have a reaction to the cell wall of the bacteria uh, PG and AA, they're called. And these bacteria are proteins. Now, remember, we used to be bacteria at one point. And so the bacteria retain proteins that are us, enzymes that are us, metallic, metabolic processes that are us. And so they can mimic our systems and produce chemicals that act like they're like Trojan horses is really what I'm saying. And so what they find is that synovial joint protein is a match to the protein on the cell wall of TG and AA. And after about 15 years of exposure to these bacteria, people who are sensitive to rheumatoid arthritis will develop this disease. And it's due to a reaction to these bacteria. Um, I've mentioned heart disease. With heart disease, the bacteria that causes gum disease, PG, causes an increase in certain type of low-density uh, um, LDL cholesterols that um, tend to stick in artery walls. It opens up the cells that are the endothelium, the cells that line the, the wall of the arteries, one to two cells thick, and allow the bacteria to penetrate quickly. And then when they're in there, they cause a change in the smooth muscle, and it causes the smooth muscle to move from the outside of the watery artery to the middle. And they, these uh, muscle cells have like little Velcros on them that start to catch the LDLs, these new LDLs. And these LDLs build up and build up plaque, and so this is how these bacteria in three forms I've mentioned cause atherosclerosis. And the word cause is there. If you have high blood pressure, you must treat the blood pressure for your patient or examine them. If you have heart disease, you should be having tests to see what type of bacteria you have in your, in your, in your mouth. And if your gums are bleeding and if these bacteria are getting in, contributing to your heart disease. So that's some of the links I could tell you about. But they look for places to live. Those are the three examples of places they live. So the least of anyone's worries should be about white teeth. The people should care yes. for their mouths very seriously because it's literally the, the gateway to a lot of um, possible disease. Think of how you catch gum disease because it is an infectious, transferable, communicable disease. Most of us get the bacteria that are in our mouth from our mother when the mother kisses us. Um, test the food, test the temperature of the food, the texture of the food, and from other partners we have, including our pets as we get older. Um, once you have those bacteria, um, you're at risk for disease, and it begins at the age of four to five, uh, pardon me, at the age of uh, two to three, when the back molars come in with children, the first and second molars. That's the change in the environment to these wide teeth with big spaces that you can't clean between. Well, that's where I see the bleeding starting in the beginning. So 
when you have these bacteria now, if you have gum disease, and in particular, if your gums are bleeding when you have your teeth cleaned, it doesn't sound good, but you're transferring these bacteria to your partner. And that's not a healthy thing. We don't exchange those types of body fluids. If you think of the raise, the rise in HPV with oral sex, and it's important to talk about this, um, we're usually thinking of younger people engaging in it. And if you look at, for instance, college students, low on sleep, low on good diet, high on caffeine, aren't certainly taking care of their mouths, and you see much more bleeding in these people's mouths. And so uh, this is how the viruses horrible. and bacteria, well, it is a horrible disease, and it's so easy to take care of if you brush your gums and use picks between them and have your teeth cleaned regularly. And if you have a lot of bleeding, use the antibiotic mouthwash to kill the bacteria throughout the mouth. And for most people, that solves the issue. Well, we're, we're close to the end. The last couple of questions. If, if I go to my run-of-the-mill dentist and I tell him all this stuff, will he just be like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're crazy. Like, how do you find someone that is on board with this stuff and understands? You know, not the whole, the whole world can't come see you, unfortunately. So what do people do? I think you do what you just said. You make the, you make the office respond to your needs. You're paying the bill. You ask for the treatment. You have to say to them, I want to have no bleeding. Tell me what I have to do. And if they say, floss your teeth, you're in the wrong office. And the last component I didn't mention, there are three things we tell people to do to take care of their mouths. Brush your teeth, floss your teeth, have your teeth cleaned. Okay. Now, it is important to have the, the debris removed from your teeth, the scale and tartar and the stain. But when you have your teeth cleaned, I'm taking a sterile instrument. I'm putting it into an infected site that bleeds, and I'm using the same instruments in the rest of your mouth. Does that make sense? What am I doing? No, that's true. That's true. You're spreading it around. Now, okay, now think about this. You have an ear infection. You have a chest infection. You have a bladder infection. Would you ever take floss and rub it on the infection to cure it? Yeah, it makes sense. I understand. How about profi paste that you have your teeth polished with? Would, would that solve the problem? The worst is, would you put up with a dentist taking a scaler or a curette and scraping your wound every three months as a treatment for the infection? Uh, no. You can look at them and you no. say, you are nuts. So remember in the beginning I said, I'm going to tell you the emperor has no clothes. We're doing what we were taught to do, but what we were taught to do is no longer the best treatment nor the predictable way to treat the disease. And I've given you some information about that, about how to change this microbiome in your mouth so you can control your disease and you have to want to do it okay. and you have to make the, the professionals uncomfortable and ask these questions with the information I've given you and you'll get, you should find that they will follow along. If they don't, you need to find a new dentist, hygienist. Okay. Well, well very good, James. This has been a great call. I mean, I could tell that there's hours more that I could ask you, but we're out of time. But um, so you're giving people a way to help themselves, which is probably the best thing. What if they want to find out more about Aura Vital? And about you, where do they go then? What's the resource? Well, they can certainly look me up on the internet, Dr. Jim Highland, H-Y-L-A-N-D. Um, they can email me at Dr. Jim Highland at Oravital, O-R-A-V-I-T-A-L. Uh, they can go to our website. And I also created a, a standalone website called Gum Guardians. And there's another one called Fresh Breath. It's uh, freshbreath.ca for Canada. And on both of those sites are consumer information about the sort of things I'm talking about as well. So orovital.com, 
gumguardians.com or freshbreath.ca are three sites they could look for some more resources. And obviously, they can email us and we will respond. Well, great, James. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I, one of the, would one of your comments be, how come nobody told me this till today? Oh, yeah, definitely. Please. Definitely. That's what I'm trying to say. Yep. Exactly. And so what I say to people is, once I say that to people, I usually say it's not your fault today. But in the future, there is a way of doing things differently. You have to take care of yourself. And there are providers out there that are doing it. You just have to advocate for yourself. So thank you so much for this opportunity to talk with you. I really appreciate it. The purpose is to inform people, educate them, inspire them, and to get them healthy and to make a difference in the world. And I think the oral environment is that one of the easy frontiers to do that and to make such a huge impact on your oral and overall health. It's very easy to do with the right information. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.